Welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh38. We have our full complement of four hosts this week. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment newsletter on the internet, and the website spamprimer.com to help you fight spam. I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer of MacMost.com, where I post new Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials. I also make mobile games, and you could find those at CleverMedia.com. I'm Kevin Savitz, charming podcast personality. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speechless. I'm Leo Nelson, <laughs> lover of coffee, corgis, and computers. Not always in that order. And, of course, I'm the Leo behind AskLeo.com. So, uh, sounds like we've got lots to talk about, at least for the last week or two. Uh, Randy, I think you're up first. What's been going on with you? Well, first of all, I think Kevin got a good vacation. He sounds very relaxed. I am so relaxed. <laughs> yeah. And thank you all for not robbing me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Guido didn't get there? <laughs> oh, oh, damn. No, he just hasn't figured. He hasn't looked in his safe yet. <laughs> Well, it is August. It's the peak of summer. So naturally, we started getting snow in the Colorado mountains, and I love it. It didn't stick around very long, but uh, hey, we got a dusting, and that's a good thing. That's, that's all the excitement I have for the week. When you say you got snow, do you literally mean you had snow at your house? No, in the mountains. Ah, okay, cool. But, but that means we've been getting rain at the house, which is fantastic. It's been very dry. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Gary? Uh, not much here. Just working on my usual stuff. So not much to say. Kevin. Kevin. Lots to talk yeah. about. I just yeah. got back from a two-week trip to Poland. Yeah. And uh, with my, my whole family and my mom and, and uh, a niece and just I brought a bunch of people. And it was a great time. And, you know, we did, we went to churches and saw castles and all that stuff but in the the the, the nerdy tech enthusiast uh uh aspect i did two things that i want to talk about one is i went to the krakow pinball museum which uh is a in in uh krakow and it's a it's a pinball museum and they have all sorts of uh uh, uh games to play from the early years of pinball up to pretty modern stuff and it um, I enjoyed it very much. And one of the neat things they, they had there was, you know, it's a bunch of pinball machines and they're basically on free play. And uh, uh, kind of a, one of the, a unique thing that made it a little bit museum-y is that for every all the games, it said, you know, uh, the, the name of the, the manufacturer and the year it came out and the number of units that were produced of that game. And some of mm. them I, I thought was really interesting. I mean, there'd be like a, a game... Uh, don't quote me on these numbers. I'm just making it up. But there'd be like a pin bot there or something. It's like, oh yeah, I remember this in the, the mid '80s. These were everywhere. You know, I, I played this game all the time. And it'd be like uh, there were four thousand made. And you're like, really? <laughs> wow. You know, um, some of them were the numbers were surprisingly low to me. Um, and then of course they had a few that were you know there were only seven hundred made or something. And there was a few there that I had never seen before because it was Poland and they probably had you know different uh, pins available to them. So that was neat, and and, uh, and you uh, put the link to their website on our on our notes, which I'll put on the show page. Yeah, um, what is fascinating to me about it 
is that the website is in English. Uh, yes, it's. I believe there's also a Polish version. But yeah, I think a lot of people in Poland speak at least some English. Um, it's not one of those countries where you go there and you can't communicate with anybody. I mean, yeah, and I, I've been there too, and, and, um, including Krakow, but uh, I missed this particular attraction. It was fun. And uh, the other thing I did, um, uh, I went in uh, the city of, all right, so there's a, there's a city, which I think was my favorite city uh, I went to. There's a city called Breslov. It's spelled Roklaw. <laughs> it's spelled <laughs> W-R-O-C-L-A-W, but it's pronounced, and I'm probably not even doing it justice, it's pronounced Breslov with a B and a V at the end. So yeah. the city of Breslov, uh, I went to the, Museum of Computers and Games of the Past Era, which was uh, a museum that basically had uh, a lot of old computers, which are really my thing. Uh, and they were, you know, Commodores and Ataris and, and beautiful uh, old uh, Polish machines that I had never heard of or, or seen before. And uh, some of them were behind glass and you could be admired. And some of them were available to play. And uh, people were sitting down playing all sorts of uh, computer games and uh, everything from IBM PCs to, you know, crazy uh, European machines that uh, I never seen before. Anyway, uh, that was a, that was a good time and uh, took the whole family there too. And uh, played some, uh, some river raid, you know, in Polish. So it's good. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, anyway, I had a great time and, uh, it was it was relaxing and it, it's it's good to be back. So that so um so I'd like to go on to to Leo. But before we get into the news, I, I have a I have a question for all y'all, but probably end up being for Gary. <laughs> <laughs> well, my week was kind of kind of boring in a lot of ways. I was travel visiting and traveling some relatives, but the big news around here is essentially how chewy our air has been. We um, have been getting a lot of the smoke from an apparently like 500 different forest fires up in British Columbia. And it's all been um, heading towards uh, Seattle and Western Washington and actually making its way even further. But we yeah, have some, of the, some of the densest air, some of the smokiest air that Seattle has ever reported. It was actually kind of odd. I mean, made for some beautiful, beautiful sunsets, but that's really scraping the barrel to try and come up with a good side for this. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it was a hard for a lot of people. The good news, and, and I actually, Randy, I'm very jealous of the, the fact that you're having some rain right now. Um, the good news is that you know, some of it did blow out. We did have some light rain, but they are, in fact, predicting uh, warmer weathers and what would normally be clearer weather uh, in order for the smoke to move in again. So that's been, uh, that's been what's keeping us, uh, you know, keeping things interesting over here. So, uh, Kevin, what were you trying to, uh, to ask, ask Gary about in front of us? Um, yeah. So Mike, I, I have an iPhone as, as, uh, you may know, as Gary, especially, and I have been with AT&T since, the big, my first iPhone was the iPhone, what, 3G? And uh, so it was a long time ago. And at that time, if you had an iPhone, you had to have AT&T. Right. And I have stuck with them and still have AT&T. Mm. And 
Ooh. I know. And anyway, so I was talking to my uh, a friend about this, and he, he does a lot of international travel for work. And uh, he, he had switched recently to T-Mobile, and he was very happy with them. And he's like, it's way cheaper. Uh, and especially for international, because basically on my AT&T plan, it's $10 a day. Mm-hmm. You know, and anyway, so he convinced me I should I should go to T-Mobile. So fine, I, I guess I will do that. I'll give it a shot. But I know that the new iPhones are coming out probably, or at least going to be announced next month in September. Mm-hmm. And I'm still. It's time for me to upgrade. I'm still using a 6s, and it's probably time for for a new phone. So my question for all of you, Gary, is: Do I? how how do i do this do i should i switch to t-mobile now and and just keep keep my current phone and then get a new phone next month or whenever they're announced or should i do it all at once and do a massive switch of new phone and new contract at the same time but is there is there a best way to do this so that i don't get screwed wow you stumped me i thought you were gonna first i thought you were gonna ask about switching to a, a another network and then i thought you were gonna ask about whether you should wait for the new phones, but then you did a combo. <laughs> uh, I'm not, I, I'm going to wait yeah. for the new phone. I, yeah. Well, the th- so the thing is that it's like, I don't know what happens because my gut tells me, Oh, the cleanest thing to do from a tech standpoint is just get the new phone. And then you're all settled with that and then go and, and switch. But I feel I, like if I get a new phone, then yeah. I'm somehow locking myself into it. You're not or, anymore. You shouldn't be anymore, right? Because that's that's no longer a thing, unless mm-hmm. you're like financing your phone or something like that. But right. and even then, I think it's it's not even financed through AT and T anymore. Or or they have a thing where you could you could pay like through your bill or something. For, right. That's what I'm. Well, I was doing, and it because yeah. it it turned out to not be any more expensive. Right. So it's it's a like zero. Yeah. Uh, so I, I did that, and you can, why not? You know, but. Um, but uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a tough one because you want to keep your phone number, of course. Sure. And or or do you? Because I know yeah. you use your old 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 phone number still. I do. Yeah, I just for the convenience of my friends, why not? You know. Sure. Well, so I would. Um, you know what? Uh, it seems like the safest route if I was going to do it was if you you're ready to do it now. Do it now because, okay, think about this. Let's say, you know, the rumors are it's like September 14th or something is the current rumor or something for the right. announcement, but that's the announcement, right? So maybe they say, the, and they'll be available on September 30th or something, you know, who knows? And then, you know, you have to go and, you know, get one and then it might take you a couple of weeks, you know, like you don't feel like waiting in line for it or any, you know, right. or calling at midnight or whatever you know, ordering on the phone on midnight. So, I mean, you might be into, well into October before you actually can get it. It sounds like you're ready to switch now. So maybe do the switch. Um, seems like I, I can't see a problem with doing the switch okay. now and then getting the new phone later. I right. mean, just make sure when you, when you uh, switch to your new carrier that there is nothing to lock you down to, well, no, why would they lock you down? They don't care what phone you have. Right, as long as you keep paying your bill. Right, um, right. I mean, I've switched phones with you know, you do you know the family phone shuffle, you know, where I get a new one and the the old ones all shuffle down. And right. I, I don't even talk to anybody. I just switch the SIM cards out. And then they notice about a month later. Actually, if I log into the site, it'll show like this family member has an iPhone Seven Plus, and it's like, 
So they picked up on it that the SIM card got moved <laughs> to the other card, you know, mm-hmm. other phone. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the since you're ready to switch, why not switch now? Okay. Yeah, that, that's just go to go to the Apple Store or online and just buy it directly from Apple. Pay full price for the phone, and or or go to the you know do the fun thing and go to the Apple Store in downtown Portland. Oh, you have a different idea of fun than I do, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know it's quick. It's quick. It's easy. They, you know, I don't know. It's you, you get to walk out with it right there. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I have. Okay, you know, you might bump into Waz. Uh, sure. But not in Portland, maybe. Probably, know. probably not. So, uh, Kevin, yeah. what um, led you to uh, decide on T-Mobile? Because that's what my piano teacher switched to, and he was happy with. <laughs> that, that was it. I mean, the um, yeah, I used the when I was on my trip, I used the AT and T, you know, ten dollar thing, which is has is convenient because it's it's easier to understand than the previous, you know. Like, oh, you have your, your regular data plan, but you're not going to be using that because you're going to be using your international data plan right. that you purchased. And it was and it, it was incredibly expensive, you know, per yeah. megabyte or per yeah. and, byte. <laughs> and you're tracking it like every day. It's like, how much yeah. did I use today? You know, and right. it's like, oh, I needed to use the map for like 15 minutes to find something. And it's like, oh, I'd rather be like 15 Right, but I, but I still find myself, to, I mean, it's, you know, now it's $10 a day for, it's yeah. 20, $10 per 24-hour period. Yeah. So now, I mean, I'm just on this stupid, I mean, I'm on this trip and, and, and it's two weeks. And so like every day I'm doing this cost benefit analysis. Like is that 15 minutes of map really going to be worth $10? You know, and it's, right. it's, it's $10. It's nothing. But over the course of a couple of weeks, it adds up and you don't want to. Oh, and, so. and it's per phone. So like when I travel, right. like yeah. when I went to Japan last year or whatever, it was just me. I was like $10 a day. It's 10 days, hundred bucks. And I don't have to worry about a thing. Right. It's just, I have everything like I'm home, but then I go to Europe and now it's three phones for a family of three. Mm-hmm. Now it's $30 a day. So all of a sudden it starts adding up. Right. And yeah, it turns into real money. Yeah. My, my niece, my niece also has an iPhone and I, you know, she doesn't live with me and, and she just came to visit. And, and before we left to like, you know, you, you have your, your phone squirt away. You, you know what you're doing with, with data. You, you, you know, she's like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm like, Okay, and then like every day, like we're out, we're, you know, walking around town in the town square, and she's texting and she's taking pictures and doing Instagram. It's like, oh man, I, I sure hope you know what you're doing, kid. Yeah. <laughs> they've been they've been better in the recent years with for kind of forgiveness, retroactiveness. You know, like oh, making something retroactive. Yeah, for uh, uh, once for, you, yeah. For Verizon, um, I used them when I went to the Netherlands earlier this year. Same thing, the $10 a day plan, and it's just like we're using your phone at home. But they were very proactive um, about uh, messaging me about, you know, you're in a different country, your, your 24 hours are up, you know, those kinds of things. So it's at least from, from the Verizon side, I've been really happy with. Um, they've been very upfront and very proactive about telling me when I'm about to do something. Yeah. I, you know, so when they rolled out that $10 a day new thing at AT&T, I think it was, uh, I don't have the exact date, but I think it was like February 1st, 2017 is when they rolled it out. Mm-hmm. And I was going to New Zealand then, and I was actually wanted, wanted it to start on February 1st. And I checked that it, that was the date. I checked it would be valid, but I was in New Zealand. I was the, in the first time zone. Right? right, so I landed in the mo- morning, February first, and I take out my phone and I start checking my email, and I immediately get a text message from customer support at uh, AT and T saying, "Oh, you don't have a plan. You're racking up, you know, minutes really fast, you know," and um, 
And so I called them, you know, because it's free to call them. And I said, I, I signed up for the, the $10, you know, a day plan. And they said, ah, but it's January 31st and it doesn't start until February 1st. And I said, mm-hmm. no, you're incorrect. It is February 1st. <laughs> and, and, and they're like, I don't know. I'm in New Zealand. And it's February 1st. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. Let me get a manager. <laughs> and they figured it out. And they're like, okay, don't worry about it. You're, we're comping you today because we didn't think about this. <laughs> no <laughs> kidding. About today, use it as much as you want. And tomorrow, you're $10 and you're fine. <laughs> and so that was kind of cute. It was like, uh, <laughs> so it is February 1st. I guarantee you it's February 1st. <laughs> it's tomorrow here already. <laughs> yes. So, cool. Well, we got yeah. stories to get to. Lots of good stuff. Stories. Yeah. <laughs> Not just stories, but... Breach of the week. So um, this is just a short one. Uh, OCR Software Dev exposes 200,000 customer documents. Um, this is also out on bleepingcomputer.com, which I think I've referenced multiple times. They're a good source of information about this kind of stuff. Um, what I, I, like I said, I always look for something that's unique or educational about these. Um, the, the actual breach itself looks to be the standard, whoops, we didn't configure Amazon Web Services correctly. The Mongo database, Mongo is a database technology, um, happened to get installed with uh, you know, permissions that allowed just anybody who knew what to look for. Uh, well, and people. that's the default for Mongo. We talked about that in episode 22. Yeah, yeah. It's either the def- it was the default. Hopefully, it's no longer the default. But nonetheless, um, so it's a pretty. Don't blame hate, me. It's default of decomputer. It's yeah. What I hate to say is that it's an unexceptional breach. It's nothing new in terms of the technology, which is kind of a scary place to be to begin with. Um, what's unique about this, though, is that. Uh, it's the the uh, OCR software is Abby, uh, A-B-B-Y-Y. And you may not know the company. You may not um, uh, you know, think that you've used it. But if you have a scanner of some sort, if you have software that's able to do uh, OCR of itself, and it came pre-installed or you installed such a package, it is possible you actually have the Abbey software on your machine and maybe using it without even realizing it. This is one of those cases where um, this is acts as kind of a third party for a lot of the uh, scanner and other hardware manufacturers to provide this OCR value add to their hardware. And unfortunately, but that doesn't mean it's getting uploaded to some database, does it? The implication most certainly is. Um, my wow. guess is that uh, for at least some configurations, and they did not go into detail on this, but for at least some configurations, the, um, uh, the software uploads the image of your document and actually does the OCR at their end. Not unlike actually how a lot of these voice recognition services work or text or speech to text services work. They're actually you know, quite often in real time, sending the audio up to the server that does the hard work, the heavy lifting of converting it into uh, into text. And I th- suspect that um, OCR is still enough work for a lot of computers that uh, that's exactly what they're doing. And unfortunately, that means the documents were kind of sort of left around with nobody looking. Anyway, Ew. yeah, people people who are scanning confidential documents haven't thought of that. So that is a good one to bring up, Leo. Hopefully, hopefully, um, you know, what we also don't know is, um, you know, there's this, this, 
you know, breach that happened on AWS and the Mongo database. And of course, they're going to be ratcheting that down very quickly if they haven't already. But the very fact that they might be uploading documents is something that um, a lot of people, and, and that they might even be using Abby software without realizing it, uh, is something that a lot of people might want to pay attention to. So that's our breach of the week. Like I said, on a technology side, nothing terribly innovative, but in terms of actual real world impact, um, yeah, it could, it could impact some folks. Can I interject with something that is OCR related and but innovative and uh, just a quick recommendation? Please do. Uh, I have been using for actually a few months now a Mac application called Screenotate. And it is a, a screenshot program. And its gimmick is everything you, you screenshot, you know, it puts in the screenshot folder as a PDF or whatever, but it also automatically and very quickly does OCR on what you screenshotted mm-hmm. uh, using uh, Tesseract, which is an open source uh, OCR program. And it makes an HTML file and puts that in the, in the in the folder too. So it's a super easy way if you just want to OCR, I use it all the time, you know, just want to OCR a quick web page or, or something, turn on the text, boom, it's done. But also, uh, you can search everything that you've screenshot. It's just like, you know, months ago, you did a, a screenshot of something that contained a word. You can just search for the word and it just like brings up instantly all the screenshots that you took uh, that, that had that word in them. It's, uh, it's like $5 software, or $10, something that's super cheap. And uh, I've really been getting my, uh, getting some joy out of Screenotate. Cool, cool. It's funny, I use, I think you guys know that I use Snagit for all of my screenshots for Ask Leo. And they too have now, like a version or a version ago, um, added the ability to do some OCR on your screenshots. But it doesn't sound like it's as transparent or as streamlined as what you just described. So that's very cool. Cool. All righty. Well, speaking of recognition, Randy. (laughs) All right. Well, I was kind of surprised to find out that uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection is doing a pilot test of facial recognition systems, you know, taking pictures of everybody's face and seeing who they are perhaps to look for fugitives or whatever, but they're doing this at multiple airports, including Dulles in San Jose, California. And on day three, they caught somebody who was using a fake passport. So it's already paying dividends. And it's like, I think people are kind of wary of this stuff and rightly so, but you know, it's, it's catching bad guys. So I, I have mixed feelings about it, but I just think it's interesting that that's been going on and, and we didn't really know about it. What I really liked from that story was that um, the, the uh, uh, facial wreck basically flagged him as not necessarily matching the photo that he provided. So they pulled him aside and did a you know, more thorough, deeper, whatever um, investigation. And they found his real ID in his, <laughs> in his shoe which was kind of an odd place to be keeping it, but you never know, especially given that we're all taking our shoes off these days when we get into airplanes. Well, it was under the insole, so, you know. That's true. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but it gets x-rayed, right? I mean, <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Um, it's, 
I think that facial rec is really cool. And I honestly do believe that there's going to be a lot more of it in our future, but it needs the human element. Um, clearly that's what happened here, right? And the facial rec didn't necessarily cause um, the detection. It just flagged it for further investigation. Um, there's another article from a couple of weeks ago. I'll have a link for the show notes. Uh, it might've been USA Today, but I found it out on phys.org. Um, Amazon facial recognition tools misidentified 28 members of Congress. Uh, in other oh, words, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, the ACLU basically as a demonstration of the risks of the current state of facial recognition technology ran it across uh, our members of Congress. You know, hopefully, you know, in order to to make a message or to make a statement, and yeah, it uh, it didn't do so good. Uh, and that I think is something that we're probably going to be faced with for some time. So I think that making sure the human element is there, making sure that facial recognition is used as a data point, but not a decision point um, is, is the way to go right now. But I certainly believe that eventually it's going to be uh, significantly more accurate uh, than it is today. Well, and I think customs did it right in Dulles when they had a, an alert. They didn't throw the guy in jail. They took him aside and investigated. And sure enough, he was a phony. So, that's the way to do it, and I hope they continue to do it that way. Um, they're, they're doing this in 14 different airports. and uh, You can see this easily turning into a commodity for law enforcement. That sure. Used. You know, it's like, oh, you know, whatever. The police car is driving down the street, and the, the, the facial recognition sees some guy walking down the street. It's like, oh, this guy's wanted, and they throw him in the back of the car and arrest him. And, you know, it's not him, you know, without, without doing the due diligence of, Hey, who are you? You know, uh, let me see your ID or, or whatever. And hmm. of course that happens now with just, I mean, it's always happened and it's still happening with just names. I was just reading some story about some guy who like lost pretty much everything up in some state, New England, because uh, there was an alert for a pedophile that went out in the neighborhood for somebody that moved there. that was a convicted pedophile and had exactly the same first, middle, and last name as this guy. And they looked kind of similar, too. And um, so this guy had been living there his whole life. This guy, this other person moves in. This alert goes out, you know, to everybody. And suddenly, he's not getting any business. And is, you know, he's doing, it was a home contractor. And suddenly, people are just canceling his stuff. And, it, I mean, it's nothing he could do about it. He could call people and say, that's not me. But, it, you know, usually when you're trying to, you know, get every bit you can in a business. I mean, for businesses like that, sometimes it's, you know, if you have 10 jobs in a month, um, yeah. nine of them are break even and the 10th is your profit. And suddenly you have people that just aren't even returning your phone calls. So you can explain that that's not you. Right. Uh, Name of his business, child's play contracting probably wouldn't help either. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, so my, my point is that it, it happens, you know, the, 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 the problem with identities and stuff happens even with just with a name, but you know, certainly, yeah, it's, it's going to affect more people. Right, isn't there also, there was also a story about location too, about having uh, like the default location for some GPS systems was, you know, for would be like the center of a state or something. I think there was somebody that lived in the center of a state, maybe it was Pennsylvania, the geographical center. And they would, you know, when somebody would, 
look up an address that they would have a beef with somebody about or whatever. And it didn't well, it was have IP addresses specifically. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And then, and then these people were like being harassed because they thought other people live there that they needed to, you know, deal with. And it's like, no, we're just the, if you use whatever system to look up the address, it just shows this location as a default and it's nothing to do with us. So this kind of stuff happens, but it does piss me off. And maybe hopefully we can avoid that with facial recognition, right? Instead of adding that to the list of things that could uh, screw. If it's done right. If it's done right. Yeah. Well, maybe it'll help that it's not perfect, right? That it's very imperfect, you know, and maybe if it's imperfect enough, they, you know, police wouldn't dare like say, put somebody in a squad car just based on that because they know that, you know, 20% 20% of the time, they're going to be wrong. And well, that's just and, too high of a, of a number. And being a former sheriff's deputy and, and all that, in both of the states I've lived in, the when somebody, you know, when a cop runs your license or something and yeah. it comes up with a warrant and they say, oh, Gary has a warrant, they can't arrest you just because the computer says you have a warrant. They've actually got to contact the issuing agency to make sure it's still good. So if you, you were over here, Gary, and you got pulled over and there's a warrant out of Denver in the system, they actually have to either send a computer message or call Denver and say, is this warrant still valid? We think we've got this guy. Yeah. Well, another example that, that actually happened to my parents is that some car with a license plate that is one letter off from theirs has consistently uh, not paid their tolls on like the New Jersey turnpike. And you could assume that tons of times the recognition software that recognizes the letters in the license plate has gotten it right. And they're getting, you know, tons of like violation notices, but every once in a while, like once a year or so it gets it wrong. And my parents end up getting the violation notice. And it includes a photo of the back of their minivan. And they don't own a minivan. And you could see that, no, that's not a license plate. That's a, you know, slightly different letter or whatever. But they, every time they have to call, they have to explain, they, you know, have to, you know, it's like guilty until proven innocent. Exactly. So it's like been this big pain. And, uh, and that's, that's closer to this because it's not facial recognition, but it's character recognition. Uh, you know, of these of a photo on a, you know, a, a, a highway camera. So, hmm. yep. So, the dark side of technology. <laughs> That's we should just change the name of the podcast to that, <laughs> or breach of the week. No. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. So, Kevin, something new on Twitter. Yeah, we're yeah. talking about Twitter bots. Uh, um, but not not the kind of Twitter bot that's been in, in the news. L- lately, you hear the word Twitter bot, and basically people are talking about uh, state-sponsored, uh, you know, R- Russia people who are trying to, to, to get into the conversation and, and, uh, and, and change people's minds and, and uh, mess with politics and that sort of thing. But I'm talking about the, the, the good kind of Twitter bot, the, the original. Is there such a thing, really? There is. There's, there, there's, okay. a, there's a fun kind of, of Twitter bot, which is basically a little computer programs, little scripts and things that are connected to a Twitter account that do fun things. And they're honestly, some, sometimes my, my favorite part of, of Twitter, um, there is a uh, one that, 
called uh, Emoji Aquarium. And it, it just like randomly, uh, semi-randomly creates a, a little, use, emo- use the fish emoji and little plants and stuff to make uh, an aquarium, a little aquarium scene. Um, there's one where a, uh, a webcam takes a picture of this person's plant and uh, posts it. <laughs> so every day you can see, watch the plant grow and you know see watch it face the sun and that sort of thing um there, there's all sorts of I, I have i have a couple of um bots um one is uh uh they both post uh screenshots one is of apple old apple II computer programs and one is of uh, atari 800 computer programs um and you know, i just basically have a directory filled with screenshots and it picks one and posts them and, and it's kind of fun um but they may all be going away because Twitter uh, has created new developer rules that makes it much more difficult to create an account or or maintain an account that is one of these bots. Um, Basically, there's a long form. You've got to fill out a form. You've got to explain what you're doing. um, And then they have to be approved. And before, basically, you create an account, you started your bot, and you'd get shut down if you were creating problems. Um, but now there's an approval process that will max out at, you know, no one can have more than 10 bots. Well, I know one guy who's got like 87, and they're all interesting, you know? And you're not, no one's going to subscribe to all 87, but many people subscribe to a few. Um, and uh, so basically, a lot of the people who make these bots are just like, you know what, I'm out. I, if, if I have to go through bureaucracy in order to to do this little fun programming project i'm not going to do it and um so i think it could be if, if twitter maintains this this direction it could be the end of twitter bots um or most of them uh one particular program which uses a, a bit uh, a thing called link archiver has already shut down um kind of through a different reason um uh the creator posted that after over a year of service, Link Archiver, which was a Twitter bot that automatically made uh, internet archive backups of the links people tweeted. Um, It had archived 7.2 million links that people had tweeted out. And um, basically Twitter turned off its user stream API and all of a sudden Link Archiver no longer works and he had to put it away. So it's already begun to have, have an effect uh, on, uh, on people, Twitter's new policies. Hmm. Makes me sad because I like looking at the, the tiny star field. Little, oh, there's little Mastodon, plant. right? There's Mastodon? Yeah. Twitter it's, alternative. Oh, Twitter yeah. Alternative. Yeah, I, I keep hearing about Mastodon being a, a Twitter alternative, and I don't know much about it. But my understanding is it's like kind of fundamentally like IRC or something where there can be different s- servers. So you, I mean, you could be on, on uh, one IRC and not see someone else who's on a different IRC channel or not. I mean, channel, I mean, server set. So what's, what's the good of, of replacing Twitter with 20 different unconnected Twitters? No, they're, they're connected. They're connected. Yeah, they? that's the point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. the strength. And so the, the difference is you're on a server and I think Leo, you, you probably know a little more than I do, but you're on a server, so you, you know you pick whatever instance, and you could just start your own. You know, you could right. go and create your own, and then you set the rules. So you could say, "Hey, if you're going to be on my server, 
Right. Um, it's only, it's got to be clean. It's got to be PG 13 or whatever. Or but then what no, if I link no to other Mastodon servers yep. in order to, so, so I'm not an, an island unto myself? Well, your, your members can follow other Mastodon users on other servers. Yeah. It's not like they're going to push things onto your server. Mm. It's more like you're going to see the things you choose to see. Um, and, you know, for example, if you and I were on different servers, in order for me to, to, to follow your <laughs> toots, as they're called, not tweets, but toots, <laughs> um, the, uh, um, I have to know your server and your user ID on that server. Um, so it's like an email address, basically. Another, another step of, uh, yeah. of uh, addressing. Um, the, the biggest issue I see with Mastodon, I mean, the technology's fine. The technology's great. Um, whether or not it's simple enough for um, you know, most folks to just fall into, I suspect not. I suspect the multi-server thing is going to cause enough of a cognitive overload that it, it's not going to catch on with the masses the way Twitter has. Um, the, uh, and that's fundamentally the problem for whatever we think of might replace Twitter in the sense of, you know, throw these bots out somewhere else. Do we put them on Facebook? Well, probably not because Facebook doesn't let you do that. Do we put them on Instagram? Well, heck no, because Instagram really doesn't let you do that. Where else are the people? And I don't know. I don't know what the, what the answer is. It seems like we keep wanting to choose a technology to be the successor for whatever technology we're having problems with. But in reality, the masses decide about a year later, you know, and then you just go to where everybody else is go, has gone and uh, live with the limitations you find there. Yep. That's what happened to MySpace. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody said, let's all go to Facebook. No, it was very, very incremental over time. And as soon as everybody realized that all their friends were on Facebook, well, they better be on Facebook. Friendster forever. Yeah, same thing kind of sort of happens with Twitter. Twitter's being used a lot by, uh, you know, it was really geeky for a long time. Now it's, and then it was really businessy, political. Um, and now it's, you know, lots of random people are on Twitter, which is kind of surprising. Uh, same thing kind of sort of with Instagram in a, in a different kind of way. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I haven't followed any of the bots that you've talked about, Kevin, but I, I certainly understand the, uh, the appeal. And, uh, and it is, like you said, it's, it's sad that, um, well, to hark back to the uh, statement that somebody made earlier in a different context, they're guilty until proven innocent. And that's, um, uh, you know, kind of what they're faced with. Yep. Yep. So, Randy. Yes. Tell us about this supersonic without a boom. Yeah, this is kind of neat. We haven't had... uh, supersonic uh, passenger jet for a long time since Concorde retired 15 years ago. Um, And Lockheed hasn't built an airplane since the L-1011 went out of production in the 80s, but they're actually thinking that they might get back into the business because they see a lot of money in supersonic transport. And the way they're going to do it is to make it so that it's really quiet so that was one of the big problems of the Concorde that uh, they only could only land in certain places and at certain times because they made a lot of noise. And of course there's the big sonic boom. So Martin, uh, Lockheed Martin has, um, they, they still have the skunk works that, you know, developed the, the U2 and the SR 71 and all that. 
Obviously, they don't have the same people because they retired, but they have this new design for this really sleek, dart-looking thing that's designed to not make a big sonic boom. They think it's going to be about the sound of a car door slamming. So that would be pretty neat. And one of the weird things about it is that the, the pilots can't see where they're going. That was also a problem in the Concorde, and that's why they had that nose that would drop down so that when they landed, they could still see the runway. But they're just going to be using uh, electronic vision on this thing and not bothering with that kind of thing anymore. So it's just, it's just a really interesting article. I'll uh, put the, the link to on the, on the show notes page because it's, it's a neat picture to look at. And, you know, you can pop over to CNET and take a look at this thing. It's really wild. So as I understand it, the problem with the, there were two problems with the Concorde, both noise related. One was that the engines were incredibly noisy, and that's what right. that's what ultimately doomed it. Um, that and just the fact that they were getting old. Um, so I'm hoping that whatever they replace the engines with is something that uh, yeah. They said they're going to use standard engines with it. Apparently, Some, something that already exists. Okay. Well, that could be interesting. Then the, the sonic boom one is what restricted the Concorde's routes. That's why it was always uh, primarily a transatlantic route is because they could do the supersonic boom without really worrying about disturbing the neighbors underneath them because there weren't any. Uh, so that is the thing that would probably enable this to, uh, uh, to travel to more places and thus make right, it. Suddenly it could do LA to New York or something. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. That would be pretty that, quickly. That'd be one of the first routes I would expect. Yeah. And it's designed to cruise at 55,000 feet at Mach 1.4, which is pretty darn fast. About 1,000 miles an hour, 1,100, something like that. Something like that. Am I the only person that loves the sonic boom? <laughs> I mean, I actually grew up with it. I, I li- lived right near the Skunk Works. We, you know, <laughs> our house overlooked the uh, Burbank Airport, which is uh, where Lockheed had a facility. I mean, the Skunk Works weren't necessarily there, but uh, I heard them all the time when I was growing up. Yeah, I heard them too occasionally um, when I was, because I grew up in Southern California too. And there, yeah, again, lucky and everything was down there. And I, I think I remember it with like the space shuttle, like especially when it, they were testing them and stuff. Um, things were yeah. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there was a flight from New York to LA and it flew right over Denver every day at four o'clock in the afternoon and there was a big boom, I would be, I would cheer every time. Does <laughs> <I would laughs> the, like, yes. the boom Say, follow it? I always thought it, it was just like when it, when it speeds up or when it passes the, is it, is the boom just like happen the whole time? Like following the plane? My understanding is yes. Yeah. Wow. You, so yeah you, I think that's right. You hear it once. But yeah, it's it's moving wave. I think I think oh, that's the way it works. Huh. So so yeah, you know, I'd be like progress technology. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> I guess then if they got pr- frequent enough, it was over fifteen minutes. I'd be like, all right, enough. <laughs> <laughs> no progress. Well, it's the ones that overnight that wake you up that uh, that might be the problem. Uh, I'd still be cheering. Three in the morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, then your wife would get really upset. Yeah, she she would. Well, from, from that's all I have to say about that. We can sure. Go ahead. Ahead. That's interesting stuff. Um, so to go from supersonic at 55,000 55, <laughs> feet to uh, what is it? 
to really slow. 10 miles an hour on the ground. Um, there's an article in The Guardian recently about Uber diversifying into electric bike and scooters to drive its growth. And that got me to thinking, Uber and Lyft and ride sharing in general have definitely changed the landscape of how people uh, travel. I mean, we've all done it. The four of us, we've all done it. In fact, we may have all shared a Lyft. Um, it, yeah, various places when we're traveling, if you want to go somewhere, it's a great way to uh, to arrange for a ride. I see it as very enabling for people that are, um, you know, shut-ins, don't drive, you know, have, to, have need to get somewhere and so forth. But what we're what I'm seeing here, in, literally in my neighborhood. So I'm not necessarily saying Seattle in general, metropolitan Seattle. I'm talking about like the parks near Woodenville or downtown Woodenville where I live. Every once in a while, you see this green bike just parked off to the side. And that's what it is. It's these electric or bike sharing services. And that just fascinates me. It just really does. Because when you think about it, half the problem of, of wanting to use a bike is what do you do with it while you're doing whatever you set out to go do? Or, um, you know, how do you take care of it at home? Or, you know, all those different kinds of things. And I just like the idea of having these things randomly available at random places. Uh, you use it. And you just sort of leave it where you're done with it and uh, go from there. Uh, the fact that some of them are starting to become electric, I think, is probably what's going to help drive that industry a little bit. It's more than just a bicycle that you have to pedal. Uh, something that actually will help you uh, get from point A to point B. I'm hoping that they'll actually move up to um, you know, Vespas and scooters and those kinds of things. But in the meantime, I just like the idea that they're diversifying into this industry. There's like two or three scooter companies in Portland, Oregon, all of a sudden. And you're driving down the street or taking a walk, you'll see them. I saw one today. I was walking the dog and, and there was just this green scooter just sitting on the sidewalk that someone had left there. And I think you have an app and you can rent them, you know, for by the hour, or whatever. And uh, so that's kind of interesting. And there's, a, I think, a, tw a, a Tumblr or something about like scooter bad behavior. And they just basically every time someone finds a, a scooter has been abandoned behind a, you know, a dumpster or thrown in the river or something, they post pictures of that because uh, you know, people are sometimes not uh, very polite with the scooters. Um, I read an interesting article in our local newspaper, the Willamette week uh, about Portland's latest side hustle, which is uh collecting electric scooters at night and charging them. And basically the, these are you know, electric scooters and they need to be charged. So uh, you can sign up and then go collect scooters, take them home, plug them in and, uh, and you get paid and then put them back out in the world. And uh, they, they pay you for that. They actually pay you based on um, how difficult the scooter is to get to. If it's one that's just like on a main road, you know, you won't get charged, you won't get paid as much as if one that uh, has been left, you know, way out in the, in the boonies or something, you know, the, the three, you know, Northeast three hundreds or something that. But you don't get paid by, according to how much electricity it needs to charge it back up. Well, I think, I think there's a, as a, as a minimum, I, I don't know. I haven't done it, but, I, I think the main thing they pay on is like how tricky the scooter is to get to. And what, uh, 
one of the guys uh, that does this has been has posted to my local next door group. We have the same two scooter companies uh, here in in Denver. These are the scooters, as in little flat skateboard things with a you know handlebars, not like scooters as in Vespas. The um, so he he posted, and I think the reason you don't get paid per you know for the electricity is he says that it really comes down to like between one and seven cents. It's like a really small amount of electricity it takes uh he ran the calculations so it wouldn't make sense for them to you know worry about it when it's you know a full charge is seven cents or something like that but yeah it's uh based on uh difficulty and everything we we not only have those same two scooter companies lime and bird here in denver but we also got the uber bikes uh about two weeks ago and uh they're called jump bikes so it's confusing because they're called jump bikes and they're painted you know some bright color and then they say jump on them and you can get them through the uber app or through the jump app and people have been referring to them as uber bikes but then i read somewhere that it's actually a separate company that uber has simply invested in and part of their you know partnership is that you can get them through the uber app so they're kind of like related to uber but not exactly uber um but yeah, electric assist is what they call it. So they don't go on their own. You have to pedal, but you don't have to pedal as hard <laughs> as you do a regular bike, which would make it more, you know, viable as a, you know, for longer distances or people like me that aren't like super fit um, and everything. And I haven't gotten a chance to try one yet simply because I have my own bike. <laughs> and so every time I've gone and said, I'm going to go and try one, but wait a minute, why am I doing that? My bike's right here at the house. I could use it. Uh, so, so you but, can podcast about it. Yeah, you know, that's what well, What I need to do is I need to say, okay, for, I have all the apps. I have all the apps on my phone because, you know, and I've signed up for all of them. <laughs> so I need to just say one day, okay, I'm going to try both scooters and the jump bikes and just kind of see how they work um, and, you know, maybe have, have a little fun just riding them all around. Uh, and, you know, certainly it's a good option, especially for, extending the distance which i could walk because like i like walking large distances in the city but i always have to like think okay i have to walk back so the further away i get the the you know more wary i am about continuing on but if i think in terms of uber bikes and uh you know these scooters i could just keep walking until i just can't walk anymore and then take one of these two back so I, I will eventually. I'll and and Uber did buy Jump. They, they oh, they two hundred million dollars for it earlier okay. this year. The Guardian says. Ah, so it's kind of confusing now. Which app should I use to and actually get? And also invested in Lime, which is another right. That's one thing. of those. <laughs> one of those two scooter companies is Lime. Yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting. Taking they're taking over these. Uh, it's interesting to see how this is going to affect things over the next couple of years, in terms of. Uh, is it really going to mean less cars, less cars that need to park, less cars that need to clog the roads? Is it going to affect the bus? You know, how many people are riding the buses? Um, how far people can live from where they work? You know, things like that, or even how far like people go for things, you know, go to restaurants, go shopping, whatever, to extend the range. Um, it's way too early to tell if it's going to have a like changed kind of, urban areas so in that same vein um way too early to tell amazon 
slight switch of topic, but not really. Amazon just opened up a second um, Amazon Go, which is a cashierless convenience store. It's the one where you, uh, when you get there. Oh, free shoplifting, that store. That store, yes, except it's not free shoplifting. Uh, It's uh, (laughs) automated. I mean, the fact that they're opening a second one leads me to believe that there weren't enough kinks in the first one for that to really be a problem. Um, My understanding in reading this article in uh, actually the Seattle Times is that um, the new store is going to be in a different location downtown, caters slightly more to uh, businessmen, business folks who are working in the the central core. So it's not going to have the same variety of products, but it is ultimately going to operate almost exactly the same as the the original Amazon Go down at the Amazon campus. And all that really means is you fire up your Amazon Go app on your phone, you scan yourself in somehow, and then you just take what you need and leave. And it magically figures out what it was you got. Maybe it uses some of that, that Amazon facial recognition that uh, gets the Congress people. In. Exactly, yeah. Um, so I just found that fascinating. And that actually, that reminded me that one of the things that my wife and I have been doing recently Again, it's good to live in Amazon country in some ways because we get some of the, um, the newer features that uh, Amazon is working on. And they have gotten into the food delivery business. And I mean that in the sense of restaurants. There are um, several restaurants, literally just small restaurants down the hill from us or in downtown Woodenville that we frequent that, uh, gosh, you go to Amazon.com and you find them there and you have their menu and you click here and you click there and you buy now and an hour within an hour or thereabouts dinner gets delivered to your door. Um, I realize that food delivery companies are nothing new. They've been around for a while, but um, the fact that it's all bundled into Amazon um, and a lot of it, I'm sure is using a lot of the same kinds of technology we've heard from uh, Uber and Lyft uh, basically sending drivers to particular places uh, to pick up people. Well, now they're using that same technology to send them to pick up food and deliver that food somewhere else. I know that there's been package delivery services based on that same model as well, which I think Amazon is actually also using. So there's a lot of innovation, what I think of as innovation in this field. And this is one that actually hit home for us because, you know, for the longest time, all we could really get delivered out here was pizza which is fine. I love pizza, but it was nice to have some different options and have them be from restaurants that we were normally frequently frequenting anyway. And we just didn't feel like going out. So amazon.com. That's, uh, uh, you know, like I said, the fact that it's all integrated with this one store is, uh, is pretty interesting. Yeah. And I'm sure the big grocery chains are shaking in their boots. Actually, Walmart is working really hard. Um, So this isn't really about groceries as much as it is restaurants. So they're delivering prepared food. They have been doing grocery delivery for some time, and I don't think that that's had the dramatic impact that they were hoping it would. Uh, We tried it once or twice, and it was okay. They delivered, but for whatever reason, grocery shopping just seems like one of those things that – we want to uh, we want to have our hands on. We want to go to the store and do. But yeah. On the other hand, at the end of a long day where you really don't feel like getting in the car or going anywhere, um, it's really nice to have the food come to you. 
Yeah, you know, I was I actually was at a supermarket today this afternoon buying stuff for dinner and there were two people there. One of them was buying food for some delivery service. I don't know which one it was. Um, and the other person was training, I guess, or getting a hand. And because uh, I heard their conversation and she was saying, yes, yeah, sometimes they ask for this and then you have to look over here and, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. So in this aisle, there are two people that are shopping for other people <laughs> and there's me. Um, and then I had this weird experience when I went to a restaurant for pickup. Uh, it was a sandwich shop near here that has an app. So I use the app to order like I like to do so that it's ready when I go to pick it up and the app didn't work. I finished the order and it said delivery not available at this time. So I was frustrated. So I went there and I had the order still on my phone. And I thought instead of actually saying the order, I could just show the guy behind the register my phone and he could read it off there. And it'll probably be way easier for him and certainly easier for me. And so I showed it to him and he was very confused and he asked for the manager to come over. I was like, no, 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 this is just, I could just read this to you. It's not, you know, and the manager comes over and the first thing she says is, he, oh, I forget the name of the service. It wasn't TaskRabbit, but it was another one like that. He's from whatever. And she confused the fact that I was showing him what was on the phone with the fact that I was picking up an order for somebody else that had tasked me as a gig uh. go and pick up the order and it didn't sink in with me until I was done. I was like, why were they saying, you know, whatever, whatever the name of that service was. I, I wish I could remember the name of the service, but I did think about this, that out, think about that name. And then I thought, Oh, that's one of those services where like I could be sitting at home and somebody could say, pick me up a sandwich at this place. And then I drive over and get it and bring it to the person. Yeah, it was interesting. So yeah, I, I didn't. I never dispelled that there. I just picked up the order and left, and they just thought I was doing that. Yeah, you'll, you'll take it to the guy that really ordered it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was me. But uh, anyway, it is interesting that you know. So just I'm seeing the other you know, end of the gig economy. You know, people actually doing those things out in the wild now a lot more, right? Uh, than just being the receiver of the. Actual Definitely seeing people walking around with insulated bags. Yes. And when I see people, there's one restaurant I go to that has parking for uh, specific, like next to the handicap spots are two spots for like the um, delivery services. Oh, cool. My grocery store has that too. Yeah. Yeah. Four spots for, you know. And I sit there and I eat my lunch and I look out at that, you know, those spots and I see people pulling up, running inside. And then they go to the, you know, the pickup spot on the counter, they grab it and they, you know, uh, go out. So yeah, that's happening all the time. Interesting. So. Well, I think we've eaten up an hour, guys. Yeah, we've eaten up an hour. We'll, We'll save stories for next week. So one thing we didn't decide before we went on the air here is, are we going to do next week? That's right. It's Labor Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. Yes. We are all entrepreneurs, self-employed. What is this? I know. I know. Every day is Labor Day. I'm I'm in. Yeah, I can do it. I can do it. All right. Got a quorum. We'll be here next week too. Great. Okay. All right. So do we want to talk about what we're going to be doing this week? Gary, why don't you start? Uh, Nothing. (laughs) Or just getting my work done. That's all. You're so predictable. Okay. Leo. 
basically the same idea here. I've, I, because I was traveling last week, I got a little bit behind on a few things, so I'm playing catch-up. Uh, tomorrow I'm doing an aphoresis donation, donating platelets. But uh, other than that, it's just sort of, you know, business as usual. All right. On the work side of things, I, I'm trying to get to inbox zero. Um, the oldest, the oldest email in my inbox is the August second, two thousand fifteen, and it's a project that I've been meaning to deal with for well, th- <laughs> years now, three years now. <laughs> so, um, when I talk to you next Monday, I would like to say that at some point during the week, I touched inbox zero. Yeah, that's good right. luck. Thank you. All right. Yeah. And I've just been working on cleaning up my website. It goes back to, you know, the olden days when I was actually hand coding my blog. And uh, then I moved to movable type and now I'm in WordPress and, you know, there's some glitches here and there. And I didn't always use the same kind of formatting and stuff. So I'm just going through all of my 665 as of right now, blog posts and just cleaning them up. Just something I'm doing on the side. Sounds like sounds like fun. Yeah, it's a thrill. <laughs> <laughs> Is it all though? right? <laughs> well, the show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh38. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.